Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we welcome Bo Koash. Bo is an institutional portfolio manager for fixed income strategies at Fidelity Investments. Before joining the fixed income team, Bo was global head of syndicate and primary trading for Fidelity Investments Equity Trading Division. Today, Bo speaks to host Brian Borskowski about fixed income investing in 2023, inflation, and where he is seeing opportunities in the market right now. Bo explains to Brian that the team is very excited about bond yields right now, specifically treasury yields. He says treasuries, whether Canada or the U.S., are at its cheapest levels in decades. He notes investors should be nimble and ready to act as there aren't many instances to buy yields this cheap. Brian asks, with the exception that the Fed might lower rates in 2024, does that mean you want good yields or capital appreciation from fixed income? Bo says, ideally, you want both, but his team thinks yields are going to be the winner. Bo also touches upon inflation and its effect on fixed income, and he also speaks about the diversification of the fixed income portfolio. This podcast was recorded on February 23rd, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Bo, thanks for being here. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with the big picture. Um, we've seen uh, inflation numbers, yeah, not maybe coming down as fast as people would hope. In, in Canada last week, it, it fell a bit, kind of the year-over-year numbers, to 5.9% from about 6.3%. In the U.S., it's gone up a little bit. Again, the Fed minutes saying they're going to have to keep increasing uh, interest rates. What do you make of all this? Where are we at? Is inflation going to continue to be a problem? It's the big question that is almost unknowable from this point, but Let's just break it down. So there's a few really sticky parts of inflation. The OER, it's the owner's equivalent rent. That's about 40% of CPI, core CPI is shelter. And that's the big unknown is how is shelter doing? There's, we talked to a big client last week. They thought that the OER, the owner's equivalent rent, maybe had not, not finished going up, that there was still some value that wasn't being recognized in home values that, that, becomes that owner's equivalent rent survey question. So, um, but but that said, if you look at real-time data in Zillow or Redfin and, and those kinds of numbers, uh, it looked like the housing was starting to correct. So the big question mark is what is going to happen in terms of that OER number? Then you see, you know, big earnings beat at some of the big housing builders here in the U.S. Uh, this past week. So you've got those, those housing stocks are up. So you've got a li- maybe a little bit of a pivot from the market believing that maybe we had reached terminal Fed funds rate at say that we weren't going to get to what the Fed wanted, five and three eighths, five and a quarter, that maybe the four and three quarters was going to be it. 
And now we're pivoting back. The market's pivoting back over the last two to three weeks to saying, okay, we're going to be at five and three quarters most likely, and we're not going to give back any basis points until after 2023. Three weeks ago, it looked like the Fed Funds futures was we were going to give back maybe two of those moves by the end of 23, which nobody, no market participants really believed, but the market was starting to believe that, um, at least in, in Fed Funds futures. And so I guess, what are you seeing in, in the bond market? What does this mean for yields and, and the work that you're doing? So we... We're actually very excited about bond yields, and let's separate. There's two kinds of bond yields. One is the U.S. Treasury yield. That's at the kind of the highest levels that we've seen really since the mid 2000s. We have a kind of a saying that we have now, where if you don't like bonds today, you just don't like bonds. And you know, we we kind of giggle after we say it. It is a bit you know uh, pitchy and cute, but it's actually true. We may never get these kinds of yields again, given long-term demographics, given you know, if the Fed does fix inflation, uh, usually 10-year yields are very highly correlated to GDP growth. And GDP came out this morning that we were, we're anticipating something like a mid-twos GDP. So how can you have GDP at two, two-ish percent, two, 2.5, 2.7 in that range, and inflation still running hot? So at some point, uh, we, we think we'll get back to it. Ideally for clients, though, we would love to see yields stay here for a while so our clients can get a very good annualized return uh, from the coupon, which is elevated. Right now, many of our strategies, if you look at the benchmark, the Bloomberg Ag, which is the biggest benchmark out there, it's yielding just under 5%. You know, We've got strategies that are 6%, 7% yields in that range. Those are very attractive yields for the long haul, given that, you know, with the start of 2022, it's 3x what you could get for yield in any one of those, um, any one of those benchmarks or strategies. So we're excited about the we're excited about the yield, uh, number one. Great. And, and we'll talk. I want to talk more about that. But just to pick up on just one thing you said there, uh, you know, GDP growth expected to increase by 2%. Um, but we're all, you know, people are calling for a recession. Um, that doesn't seem to be materializing. And without, you know, you don't need to predict the future as to whether one's going to come. But how do those things line up? Our, our, our anticipation of a recession versus the continued GDP growth? That's what the market's struggling with. So we started getting questions halfway through last year from pretty savvy clients saying, what do you think of recession here, recession odds? And we haven't seen a strong case for recession in any one of the numbers. And I, I always like the Howard Marks quote, there's, there's only there's two kinds of forecasters, those who know they're wrong and those who don't know they're wrong. So kind of forecasting a recession is very difficult to do. Um, you know, back in 1994, when the Fed moved seven times, we ended up with a soft landing then. This is the, the most that we've you know, grown rates in a short amount of time. We're up about 450 basis points this year. Back in 1994, we were up 300 basis points. You could argue, and I think Bullard uh, said this yesterday in a CNBC interview, that 250 of the 450 was necessary just to get back from a disaster shutting down the economy, COVID reaction. And, and now that the, so it's really 200 basis points of real kind of rate rising. Back in 1994, we had a soft landing after 300 basis points. 
but we only had a negative 2.9% return because the treasury yields in 10 years were close to 6%. Last year, we had a starting treasury yield of one, you know, or the ag yield at 1.5%. So we had a negative 13% return. So it was all the bond math that gave us those horrendous returns last year. And we feel like that's not going to be on the table. We won't have a repeat of 2022 in the bond market where, where the Fed's got to raise another 450 basis points, if that makes sense. So we feel confident that at the starting yields that we currently have, that we can get a, a nice high single digit, you know, with, with decent probabilities. We're not forecasting it. We're not trying to be forecasters here, but we think the probabilities are in your favor for uh, bond, for bond, anything with duration, bonds in general in duration, whether you choose the ag, the ag will work, the uh, active management will work even better uh, over time. So we, we like we like either either one of those in a, in a with a duration kind of mandate. What if you could talk a little bit more about kind of the work that you're doing? So do you have a do you look globally for opportunities and, and, and where are you seeing opportunities today? So we we have a wide open menu. Uh, so we have multi asset fixed income. So we can go anywhere in fixed income. We have you you know U.S. Canada uh, you know all the whole North Fortress North America. We've got we can buy things over in Europe. We we hedge a lot of that back in the USD. Uh, we we can go anywhere. And what we're finding is what's the cheapest asset class out there is just pure old yield. So. You know, government treasuries, whether they're in, you know, Canada or U.S., uh, that's the that's kind of at the cheapest level that we've seen in many, many, maybe two decades. When you get to things like corporate bonds, high grade corporate bonds, high yield, leverage loans, um, some of the risk EM, some of those sectors are being priced, you know, kind of they're not that cheap. So they're not reflecting any risk of recession. We're not getting a discount on buying those. Uh, they represent decent value, but not just great, not great value. So we've kind of underweighted some of that in our portfolios across the board. And we're really now focused on having a lot more of good old, you know, treasury yield in our portfolios, given that, you know, we're close to the 95th percentile over the last 10 years of pricing in just pure old treasury yields. So that's what's making all bonds attractive. And we're not chasing where we're not getting paid for taking the risk. And you don't want to be loading up in high yield at fairly tight levels with potential of there being a, a recession, even though we think it's going to be a light one. There's still is going to be plenty of ample opportunity to buy bonds at cheaper levels. We tend to get one to two chances a year on average to buy uh, risk assets at pretty cheap levels because you'll you'll always get a little bit of a panic whether it's the, the UK pension issue that we saw last year, last fall, and Japan was selling some you know, agency mortgages, that, that widened that, that sp those spreads out and those, that got very attractive for about a week uh, and then it went away. So you just gotta be nimble and ready to act in this kind of a market. Um, and so we're, we're kind of biding our time. We spread the risk around the portfolio, but we really do like that treasury yield right now. Is that is that um, you know typical or, or is that unusual that you can find all these opportunities in sort of the the traditional treasuries and not have to look outside for higher yields? Yeah, you it never hardly ever happens. But we typically, if you follow us and you if you looked at our how our positioning in two thousand seven or two thousand six seven right before the great financial crisis, 
you know, spreads were tight. Same idea. Spreads were tight around the world. Spreads in risk assets were very tight. So we we were selling risk assets and we held treasuries. So we're, we kind of go where things are cheap. And then when the opportunity presents itself, we've got all these treasuries that we can sell at a moment's notice and take advantage for our clients. And that tends to add a lot of relative value over long periods of time. We did it in 08, 09. We did it again in 2011, European crisis, 2013 taper tantrum period. The 2015 and 16 energy crisis when oil got down to 20 bucks, actually negative prices with inflation. Uh, and then the 2018 Fed policy error. And then again, in COVID uh, shutdown, we had lots of treasuries and not that many risk assets. So we flipped into lots of risk assets when we had the chance in all those cases. What about duration? How do you approach duration today? And how does that factor into, into the moves that you make? So duration is like a, it's a, it's a really hard concept for lots of people outside of kind of the industry to understand, but those of us in it, yeah, it's the, it's the interest rate movement. It's the sensitivity of our portfolios based on rate moves. And so we've been able to, in 2022, for example, our portfolios are kind of more wide open portfolios had lots of front end floating rate paper up to 40% of it. Uh, we like duration now, so we've closed that gap. We were we were probably underweight two years of duration last year, and now we're closer to about a third of a year short duration. And we just think that's going to be the opportunity. And we might be wrong for another 20, 30 basis points with you know with with the way the Fed is is kind of reacting or the market's reacting to Fed comments. I know the minutes just came out. And it was described, uh, you know, this morning by some pundits as there's just two kinds of hawks at the Fed. There's a little bit of a hawk and a lot of bit of a hawk. So, but there's nobody dovish in the Fed lineup. So we feel like, you know, we could be wrong for 20, 30 basis points here uh, out the curve, but we feel like we're we, we're in good shape and we don't want to miss if we get a gap and we see uh, Treasuries rally like a son of a gun because that could easily happen. Uh, in this kind of market where that is where the cheap bonds are today. So so we like our positioning. We have a lot of huge margin of safety, but we think we'll, we can make decent money with that and then be ready to go if there's other opportunities and risk. So, and then how do you, I mean, I guess, you know, yeah, one thing you mentioned that the, uh, the Fed might lower rates again in 2024. Um, so what, what do you, what do you like uh, the yield or, or do you want some that price appreciation when interest rates fall? Yeah, we, we'd love to have both all the time, but it, this is the market where I think, you know, you, we are rooting that yield is probably going to be the winner, right? Because we're starting at really good yields. In years past, when you have a low interest rate, starting interest rate, you have to almost you rely almost 100% on total return. Um, this is a bit of a mix where we think we'll have largely returns from yield and maybe a little bit of total return because if the Fed's on hold, until 24, you were probably not going to get a lot of price appreciation. It'd be nice just to get the bonds in the portfolio, let them uh, let them carry for our clients and get them that nice, juicy six, seven percent yields. And then hopefully down the road, we'll get an adjustment uh, from the Fed. I'm curious about, you know, diversification in a bond portfolio. I mean, you talk really about sort of holding all these treasuries, leaving kind of the investment, uh, the non-investment grade, you know, out of the portfolio. But when we talk about equities, you want a mix of kind of everything. Um, how does diversification right. look within a bond portfolio? 
So we still have, and, and I don't want to make you think we have 0% below investment grade. We still have about 25% below investment grade. We're at the low end of the range. We tend to range between 25 and say 40% below investment grade. So because we're not getting paid a lot for taking the beta risk or the risk of the high yield market in general, we're selecting securities that we think in high yield that have chances for idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic returns like upgrades back into investment grade or uh, short bonds that are rolling down the curve quickly, even though we're inverted. We think at some point we, we are going to get a steep curve in the front end and that over the next couple of years, you'll have some role eventually. But companies that maybe are buying back their debt, you know, they have policies that favor debt buyback. Any, anywhere where we think a company is favoring bondholders over shareholders, that's where we want to own. And that, there's a lot of double Bs. And when I say below investment grade, we tend to focus mostly on the double B sector. And that double B sector can act a lot like triple Bs versus the single Bs and triple Cs, which are completely different. The triple Cs are, are you know, basically 25% of those will, will go bankrupt every three years. So you've got a, a high margin of error uh, and you, a, a lot of bond picking in triple C space. But we tend not to focus. We have very small, you know, uh, 1% or less in our portfolios that are triple C, and that's mostly from the loan portfolio. Um, so we feel good about our diversification in the double Bs. We've got lots of different industries. We love our CLOs. We've got about uh, 6 7% in triple A, double A CLOs. Those are very diversified baskets of loans. Um, and then we've got a nice treasuries. We've got high-grade corporates. So we do have a nice mix. The nice thing about uh, fixed income, though, and diversification you're speaking to is we finally have uh, a, a treasuries that will act and protect portfolios where it didn't last year. So we lost that diversification benefit in treasuries last year because of rates went up so fast. Uh, it, it had negative returns in, in long treasuries, you know, down 27, 30 percent in long treasuries. That's not a correlation benefit. That's a correlation detractor. And so now we, we actually have some ability to hedge or at least help the performance uh, where long bonds, uh, treasury bonds can help protect equity, poor equity performance or even poor risk performance within a pure high, uh, pure fixed income portfolio. That's great. And I'm going to, I want to ask about more about that because uh, I think that uh, is, you know, a key thing for advisors to hear about how they should maybe use bonds again, but just picking up on the diversification um, last point is geographically outside of North America. Are there spots that you're looking that actually, you know, do look attractive and, and give you that uh, yield without taking on too much risk? Yeah. So we, we like, we have a, uh, fair amount over in Europe. We've, uh, it's a global credit strategy, hedge back to USD. And it's really all the national champions, banks. Uh, and we do kind of down the cap structure in those banks. So we're getting really good yield for those. It's It was a you know, little bit dicey last year. You know, that strategy was down, you know, double digits, significant double digits. It's, re, it's returning. It's back on track to, you know, good positive returns so far this year. So a bit of re uh, mean reversion there. We also like, you know, we, we have a little bit of a yen trade on currently. Uh, we think that's going to be a reversion to the mean. We have some Brazil on. We like Mexico uh, in general, kind of that fortress North America approach. You know, we think about, on, you know, bat bringing um, some of the supply chains back to close, at least maybe not 
to U.S., but maybe to Canada, to Mexico, so we can get closer to our you know, supply chains. There should be a, a good benefit to that. Uh, we also have, you know, we still we all figured out that we need oil for you know a decent amount of time still. It's not we're not going to be able to survive just on some of the alternatives. So you know we've got Pemex in the portfolio. That's a Mexican. Uh, that's the basically a uh, a big uh, oil entity down in Mexico that's got very tight relationships with the government. Um, it's it's a implicit guarantee. So you've got Pemex. You've got also, our friends to the north are, you know, produce a lot of uh, oil and energy. So you know, we, we think that there's lots of opportunities all over the place for you know, buying good bonds um, in the world today. So uh, yeah, we, like, we like some ge geographic diversification, and we've got our eyes open to, uh, to lots of different areas. And we're seeing PMI. Some of the purchasing manager numbers are getting better around the world. China's even coming back. We don't have China exposure. Uh, necessarily, but it's nice to see you know, PMIs return across Europe, uh, at least getting better or less worse. So when you see that first derivative move is when you tend to see the acceleration in asset prices the most. Yeah. And, and I feel like maybe this entire conversation is culminating to this one, one question. Are bonds back? Um, sounds like it. But for, <laughs> but for the last 10 years, they've been, you know, our people have been saying bonds are dead. We don't want any bonds in a portfolio. Are, are they back? It's because those low yields we were talking about. And when the, you know, you get, you get the the Fed or the U.S. Treasury's got to write a lot of paper to, to basically break even with our budget. You know, you've got a lot of supply out there. And so, uh, but you had the whole rest of the world was buying our bonds. Um, you know, keeping yields really low. And then you have, you have Fed policies that, you know, Q, QE and keeping you know, keeping bonds, bond levels tight. Um, so and, and you can even argue now that there's, you know, big interest from the Treasury to keep, you know, yields tight because bond yields tight because they better still write more paper. Right. So um, I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, momentum around keeping bonds, bond yields lower. But. You know, that said, bonds are definitely back. I do a lot of conferences. Um, we are out there with our competitors. I'm not sure if any one of our competitors said anything all that different. I mean, we all have not seen these levels in two decades. So it's hard not to get excited and support that you know, we could have some decent returns, on a, especially on a risk-adjusted basis, when you view that uh, bond risk or volatility in most of our bond strategies, whether you're talking about Fidelity or anyone else's, uh, tend to be around currently four to five volatility. That's up quite a bit. Even the ag, which is the big benchmark, 70% AAA, AAA, with all the, in, in, the volatility in interest rates, the volatility in the ag is even at 4%. For 30 years, it was 3%. So we're up in volatility, but you're still getting maybe double, you might get double to triple the return of your vol uh, in a bond portfolio, whereas in equities, you might be, be lucky to get one time your vol this year, given that, you know, if you, you need to get 15 to 20% to get a one time your vol, because equities is about a 15 to 20 vol product right now. So it's a very, I think fixed income is very efficient from a vol adjusted perspective. 
and a risk, and which means risk-adjusted perspective, which is why we like them so much. So, so how do you think advisors should then approach bonds today? If they were, if bonds hadn't been sort of maybe top of mind the last few years and that 60-40 portfolio, maybe they were, you know, trying to find yield and dividends and is a 60-40 back or how, how, how should advisors kind of think of bonds uh, now? It's, you know, it's that risk adjusted argument that I made. I mean, there's one big pension plan that, or one big state plan that took the limit off of how many bonds they could own. So that implies that they want to go much higher than the kind of the asset liability study had them originally take. So they were probably they were capped uh, at like 12, 13, 14%. Now they're taking that cap off. I don't know how, how high they're going to go. I can see um, a lot of others being more opportunistic around fixed income and the returns we can get from fixed income. I think there's also a lot of focus on liquidity. And I think, you know, given how much private equity, private debt, uh, venture capital, and these alts have been in some of these large portfolios um, and, and gaining, uh, there's, there's probably a need given that there's probably a mismark or not marked at all on some of those values. So, you know, there's a need to get, to get liquidity back into portfolios. And I think you're getting a lot of transparency in public fixed income. There's not a lot of surprises. You know, you kind of know it. we don't run any leverage. We don't have derivatives in our portfolios. So, you know, our clients tend to like kind of our, the offerings that we have, given that we run very simple portfolios or cash portfolios. So, you know, there's no bells and whistles. You're not going to wake up someday triple levered and, you know, ha- you know, get nothing back on the portfolio. So there, there's there's a lot to be said for why bonds are back and why there's a reconsideration of that 60, 40 and people being really negative on that 40 percent. Um, it's it's we're not hearing that this year. We're actually hearing the opposite this year from lots of different uh, channels, whether it's the you know personal investors out to the most sophisticated clients. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I will leave it there. We're at time. I'm sure we could talk about this all day, but thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.